as we talk about the pure milk of the Word that we're to be craving and desiring for. One of the uh, great pictures of that is found in Psalm 42, verse 1, where it says, As the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for You, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Uh, and of course, you get a little bit different twist there for a little bit the rest of the psalm. Um, but here, um, the writer here uh, is longing for God. He's thirsting for Him, this living God. He, he needs Him. You know. So this is a, a text that we need tonight for ourselves to be to know that um, we are to be constantly pursuing more of Him. We haven't. Uh, we haven't reached the apex at all, have we? Um, another uh, place that I can think of, of course it's all over, but in Psalms, since we're there, turn to 119, and just let's just go through a few verses that deals with longing for His Word, pursuing that. This is the experience of the, of the believer, should be. 119, verse 16. Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the Bible. It's about in the middle of your Bible, unless you have to study Bible. I shall delight, look at this, delight in your statutes. I shall not forget your word. And you guys know that every verse in this Psalm 119, which is the longest one, it's all about the word of God. Every line in there is. And look at that. I shall delight Take delight. Take pleasure in His statutes, in His Word. Do you take pleasure in uh, reading God's Word? Looking at it? Verse 24. Your testimonies also are my delight. They are my counselors. There again, that's the Word of God. That's the testimonies. You'll see it uh, worded um, in different terms. All throughout there, it might be statutes, precepts, law, uh, even wonders and such, but it's all about that Word of God, the ordinances. Um, Keep going, look at verse 47. I shall delight in your commandments, which I love. Delight. It's talking about taking pleasure, enjoying it, just taking it in. Verse 72. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. That's kind of like that song we did about thousands (laughs) there, thousands elsewhere, a thousand days. But it says the law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces of all the money that you could get. The law of your mouth. Uh, Verse 92. If your law had not been my delight, look at this, then I would have perished in my affliction. So when we're afflicted, when we go through troublesome times or challenges, trials, what do we draw upon? Well, the Word of God. Uh, his law. His precepts. We base everything on His promises and what He's told us rather than how we're feeling and what is going around us here. And so He says that um, you know, I, I take delight in that. I would have perished. I, I couldn't have gotten through it without that. How many times have you said that? I wouldn't have been able to get through this had I not really counted on the Lord and His truth and such. Uh, verse 97. Oh, how I love your law! I have an exclamation point in mind. You guys have one? It is my meditation all the day. Oh, how I love your law. I love your law. It reminds me of uh, Romans 7 22. For I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man. I joyfully concur with it. I take delight in it. So it's something that uh, we're pleased with. We we uh, we just love it. Love to be in it as much as we can, and then letting it control our lives. Being filled with the Word of God. Psalm 40, verse 8. Another psalm. I I should have turned there before I went to Romans. But it says, I delight to do Your will, O my God. And this is not even Psalm 119. Your law (laughs) is within my heart. 
I delight to do your will. So it's not a, a law thing where he is commanded and he has to do it because, well, I got to do it because he's God and and I'm man and you know I I don't necessarily like it but I'm going to do it anyway. You know, it's talking about delighting in, in doing that. Pure milk of the word, pure milk, pure, uncontaminated. Um, you think of in the Old Testament, you think of products like corn and grain and oil and uh, wine and milk. All of those products uh, were referred to as, as the purity that was, was in them. Uh, when you think of milk, uh, you want to think of it as being uncontaminated. You don't want anything in, in it, uh, unadulterated, right? Absolutely pure. Where the milk of the word when you have of the word, it's logicon. And you think of logi, logos, it's dealing with uh, reasoning, it's dealing with logic, right? Logicon, logos, logic, our English word comes from that. Uh, it's dealing with rational, reasonable, uh, or even spiritual. Uh, in Romans 12, 1 and 2, you, you have uh, a word in there that's spiritual. Uh, spiritual sacrifices, that kind of thing, uh, acceptable to God, living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your what? Your spiritual service or your reasonable service. Some of you might remember. I think it was it in the King James. It was reasonable service, right? I think I grew up on that. I've forgotten now. But reasonable is is logicon there again. Same same kind of thought or spiritual service of worship. Some other translations will use that. Uh, your reasonable service of worship, your spiritual service. It's, it's belonging to speech. Uh, speech is the product of reason, right? You, you're able to voice what you have reason. So we would trust that eventually then came to be used in Greek philosophy, logic, logos. It meant something rational, something reasonable. That's why in John 1, in the beginning was the word or... Logos, the divine reasoning, the the divine rational, um, long for the pure spiritual milk, or uh, that would be a legitimate translation, or it could be translated long for the pure rational rational reasonable milk. So uh, you could say, well, why did they put spiritual in there? Well. Or why did they put reasonable? Of course, I think we've kind of looked at that. Because of the pure, unadulterated, uncontaminated, rational, reasonable, spiritual milk that feeds the believer is contained where? In the Word. There you go, right there. Because anything that's reasonable, rational, uh, pure, spiritual, it's in the Word. Logos. Word of the Lord abides forever, right? We've already seen that um, in uh, verses preceding. If you go back to verse 23, for you have been born again. How were you born again? Not a seed, which is perishable, but imperishable. That is, through the living and enduring Word of God. So, that's the instrument that he uses. The pure spiritual milk is connected to the true Word of God. So, the... The, uh, what's the exhortation? Long for, crave, crave for the unadulterated, pure milk of the Word. And that is where we get our growth. And by the way, haven't gotten to fill you in on Anna? Yeah. Some of you know and some don't, but uh talked to them a couple hours ago. Mm-hmm. And really good news. They're back home today. Anna, her head, you know, of course it's swollen, but it's going down just a little bit at a time. Barb knows all about that, you know. But her eyes are open just a little bit now. And here's even better news. She's walking. <laughs> so that's really good, isn't it? <laughs> so within a week... Boys are up in uh, uh, around the North Missouri. Same with her sister, and they have uh, little kids to play with, cousins there. So, 
they're doing well. That was fine with them. Yeah. So that leaves them time to kind of make sure that Anna doesn't get attacked by the boys. <laughs> you know. She's a strong little girl. I put that in for requests that I sent out. I said, I said, meanwhile, Anna's had enough of this. So yeah, she's That's right. She hated that, and and some of it there was really sore around there. So it, she's doing a lot better. Yeah, it was scary. It was scary Saturday night. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Praise the Lord. I'm telling you that God works great wonders. He really does. It's neat to be a part of it. About his glory, I, boy, sure, he has. <laughs> sure has made an impact on us. I'll tell you, from the very time that she was born, uh, uh, yesterday was her birthday. One year old. You see how God works in everyday lives and some people have more challenges than others in different ways and then you look at it and you see how God works through that. And uh it's just the providence of God. And uh boy he you know, he works wonders. It's so a friend who's true. an oncology hospital a hospice PDF PDF hospice nurse. So she all she deals with is dying children. She's done for twenty five years. And I said, How can you do that for so long? I said, Even with a strong faith, I think that would get to me. And, he's, and she said, that Those kids, every one of those kids, they are so strong and they're so gutsy and they just don't. And most of them even know that they're dying, but they still live while they're huh. dying. They're, and they teach adults hmm. who come connect with them so many things. And that's probably part of the purpose. They bring people to faith. They. What a ministry there, huh? Yeah, it's not for everybody. <laughs> well, um, re- the reason I brought her up, I think of newborn babes and along over that pure milk of the word. You know, <laughs> of course, that's quite the picture, and that's exactly what God meant. He was talking about uh, you know nursing babies here in, in the literal sense of it. The pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. God does not leave us like babies. You know, uh, it'd be terrible to see somebody that was 30 years old and still acted like a two-year-old. And unfortunately, sometimes you can kind of see that in, in Christians. You know, we, we tend to look like we're babies and rather than uh, growing up. And we're, we're meant to grow up. And, and God will cause the growth, but sometimes we can be stubborn and um, not really grow in the, in the respect to salvation that we should be. And, but that's the whole reason for all of this. You know, if you have that pure milk of the Word, there's where your growth happens. And I, I look at uh, all you guys, you're committed to the Word of God. And you don't stop growing. And a lot of us are on, you know, getting some years on us now. And that doesn't mean we stop. Man, it, it means we're pressing on even more. I heard uh, Alistair Begg today. Anybody hear Alistair Begg? Did you hear that one part? About where he uh, he had an uh, an older yeah. man there yeah. he respected and he said I'm going to be watching you. <laughs> Alistair said that because he said I want to see you finish well. Yeah. No, you got more purpose now than even ever before. So you betcha. Well, I'm not talking about you. You're you're still a young pup. You're younger than me. So. But it is reminding me of the fact that I'm 
that as we get older in our walk, that our, our, our jobs at night change sometimes in our ministry. But it still that still needs to be nothing else to encourage those behind us to continue to stay. That's right. You know, even if you don't know quite why you're still there. Yeah. There's absolutely a reason. I guarantee you that. I know he's talking about A.W. Pink. Did you guys hear that? A.W. Pink, Sovereignty of God. I mean, you know all the books that he's written. I mean, he's a he's a hero to us. But Alistair was kind of saying that he didn't finish too well. Um, he, he, he They were on uh, an island. I don't know if it was New Hebrides Island. I don't know if that was the one. I can't remember. But they didn't go to church the last then weren't in fellowship with anybody for the last three years yeah. of his life. Did I get that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's yeah. kind of sad because, you know, I, a lot of it was because, yeah, over the course of years, and you know how it is when you when you see people not wanting the things of the Lord and then you give it to them and then all they do is, you know... Um, trample on it. Yeah, trample on it. And then make fun of you. And I guess he just threw his hands up in the air and said, okay, you know. That, that's a shame, you know. I mean, he made a huge impact, huh? Did God say we'd be persecuted, or did He say that we'd be persecuted? Oh yeah. It's it's easy to get calloused. It could very well, you know, happen. So we want to pray for each other that we would just keep on growing. You know, there's a there's a reason that we're here, and that's to be like Christ. Uh, there's one thing that we are to be content. God is most glorified when we're most satisfied in Him, right? Content with Him. But there's another sense of we should never be content with our growth. You know what I mean? Right. It's easy to get that way. You know, get lazy and say, well, you know, I pretty well know it all now, you know. <laughs> Keep going, right? Keep going. You know, the goal for me is not necessarily, and and don't get upset at first because you guys know me and what I think about the Bible, you know, but I first say the first half here is going to sound odd. The goal for me is not to know the Bible. You ready? The goal for me is to know the God of the Bible. That's knowing God. And we know God, of course, by what the Word of God. Of course, this you know Christ is the Word. But look in Second Corinthians three eighteen. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being right now, transformed, totally changed, into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. That's a power-packed verse, isn't it? Isn't that incredible? We, uh, as we see Him in this Word of Truth, and we see the glory of the Lord, and it just expands, and it's like we go from... Like as we're transformed, we are being, we will be transformed into new bodies. But as we are being transformed, we're being changed constantly. This is sanctification, and as we grow, we're changed even more. We keep changing. It's almost like we go from glory. We, we see one level of glory of the Lord to another level of glory of the Lord to another level. We see a little bit more of Him, and then we take another glimpse, and we get to see a little bit more. You know, getting getting up higher on that that mountain to see the glory of the Lord, and it all comes from the Spirit of God, the Word of God. Second uh, Peter, three eighteen. That's Second Peter. Uh, it's that famous verse in Second Peter, very last verse of Second Peter. But grow, this is the same Peter, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. 
whatever it is. Amen. I'm in agreement. Grow in the grace and knowledge. Growth. Growth. There is no substitute for growth. And then he says at verse 3, if you've tasted the kindness of the Lord. Kindness. He's a kind God, isn't He? It's His kindness that leads us to repentance. He's a kind God. And if you're a Christian, you've tasted the kindness. You know His kindness. There are people that don't believe God is good. They don't believe He's very kind. They might say, yeah, there's a God that exists, but I don't want Him. He's a... I don't want a God like that. That's what I was brought up to believe. That's why we, in my former faith, concentrated mostly on the New Testament when we did deal with the Bible. Hmm. Don't want that God of the Old Testament. (laughs) Oh, if they only knew who He really is. Early on in my journey, I questioned that with a few people. And they would just say to me, well, anybody who feels that way what it boils down to man really needs to see where he is where he really is yeah. and man needs to see as he's the the two things that Calvin said that uh, about that the two most basic things man must see God for who he is and man must see man for who he really is. And both of those are hard. It's not natural. See that. Okay, now we go into this next section. And for a long time, I've always tried to connect this. Here, you know, one goes into chapter two, the first three verses. You know, just kind of goes in context, disclose. And then you have a verse 4. It's like there's a break. Why didn't they break that and put it up in verse 1? I think there's probably a reason here. Sometimes Peter um, seems to get, compared to Paul, kind of, and, and excuse me, this is terrible to say this way because this is God's Word. I'm, I'm not trying to bring it lower. Say, he writes differently than Paul. Paul makes every point, you know, logic just flowing one to another, you know. And Peter's not like that exactly. He writes differently than Paul. He, um, oh yeah, they're all, they're all different. You know, he starts out at the beginning talking about the Word and the Word of God, and then he starts talking about John the Baptist, then he goes back to. Right. Yeah, it's uh. Yeah, and that's just like God. God is a God of variety, and that's why He uses so many different people from so many different years, and He puts this together, and it's all God. And then you go into this verse four, and I always wonder, well, how does this fit with the other? Does it even have to fit? And it seems like, well, Peter seems to be a little scattered sometimes. But I see a little bit of a connection here, I think, and maybe not. But I think it's interesting as as you get into verse four and coming to Him as to a living stone which has been rejected by men but as choice and precious in the sight of God, you also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now that's through verse 5, and I don't think we're really going to get any further tonight, so I'll stop there. Um, I mean, as far as reading that, and we'll kind of look at this. But you look in verse 4, and I think we see a little bit of connection because he's been saying, have a hunger, crave for God's Word, crave for His very presence, right? Just like newborn babes, and then because of that you'll be growing. You know, be pursuing Him. That's what it's about. Because you're going to grow out of this if you do. And then He says, and coming to Him. And I don't think it's just 
salvation there. You usually think coming to Him for salvation. I think that's part of it. But the present tense is involved here. As keep on coming to Him. Don't just stop coming to Him. Keep pursuing Him just like we were talking about earlier uh, when we read out of the Psalms. There's a beginning point though here as coming to Him. And we're going to come back to that. But let's get to the very beginning point of a, of a new section. Anytime we start with anything, anytime we start with prayer, who do we really start with? Our Father. God. Holy God. Start with that. When you start a, a, a new section, a new study, guess what it's about? It's about God. If you open up um, a theological book, let's say theological studies, uh, basic foundations of who God is, attributes of God or something like that, um, or um, uh, Calvin's Institutes. You know, those kind of things. What are they really going to start with, though? They're going to start with God. I mean, that sounds like too easy of a subject to talk with, right? I mean, sure, it's all about it. But that's where everything starts. We would like to start thinking about us first. Let's put man first. How about the doctrine of man in systematic theology? You ever see a systematic theology book start with the doctrine of man? The doctrine of sin? That starts with God. And, you know, who He is. So the beginning point in this verse, even though it says, and coming to Him, that means us, but it's to Him. That's where the focus is at. The pursuit, the hunger for God is there. Uh, even though it's a, it's a different section, really, I'm not so sure that it's that much different. And now as he's talking about pure milk of the Word, we're coming to Him. We're drawn to Him as the deer pants after the water. As we... Um, are not only desiring, we're delighting in Him. So our focus and our whole attention should be on on Jesus. He is our foundation. He is our very life. And so we start seeing ourselves in that proper perspective. If we start with God, then we can look to see where we are at. And in this section, we kind of go back to um, the privileges. We've already seen some of the things and the privileges that Christians have. In the first chapter, we just went one after another after another. And then he gave some commands in First uh, Peter one fourteen, somewhere around that area, right? 13, where he said to hope in God and then, then other commands, be holy and such. Uh, and now he, he turns back to some great privileges. Um, but we, we focus our attention on, on Him. This is all connected with Christ. This is a complete union with Christ as He talks about Him being the stone. and um, We are stones also uh, with Him, but we're in union with Him. We are the stones that make up the temple. He's the great high priest and we are priests that are serving Him. So the title of this, I've got Stones, Temples, and Priests. That's what we are. You ever thought of yourself as a stone? A living stone? You ever thought of yourself as a temple? Well, yeah. You ever thought of yourself as a priest? Well, there we are. And that's what Peter here uh, drives us to here. And this, uh, this section that he's dealing with, Behold, I lay in Zion, a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. Talking about that cornerstone. Stone of stone, laying a rock of fence. Out of... Uh, Isaiah 28.16 and Psalm 118.22 is where you get that text. And that's where Peter is really borrowing from. And Peter uses um, a lot of Old Testament passages as most New Testament writers do. You'll see it's chock full. And of course he draws from a very powerful section there. Um, He quoted also at the end of chapter 1, all flesh is like grass and all the glory... Like the flower grass, grass withers, flowers fall off. That was out of out of the Old Testament. So again, he's doing it. He says, as you come to Christ, you are coming to a living stone. And coming to him to a living stone. He said, What? Now the word there is lithos. There are different words in the New Testament uh, for stone. This particular uh, lithos, uh, kind of a 
an un, uh, I guess a usual word, I guess in a sense, but it was used for a stone in a building. As stones were put into a building, that's what this lithos is. So it was a, a carved, precious kind of stone. It's uh, used for building a building. That's the idea of, of that thought. Uh, it's a stone that would be chiseled, a stone that would be hammered, uh, a stone that was sawn in order that it would, would fit perfectly in the building of an edifice that would be the perfect stone put in there. If you were living in ancient times, they built buildings, of course, by stone. People still build stone buildings today. Um, so they didn't really use the, the mortar, but simply stones whenever they built these rock buildings. And they were perfectly fit, fitting together, and they just simply stacked one upon another, and upon another, and upon another. And they were immovable. So all over Israel you would see these kind of buildings. Um, a stone that is perfectly shaped, perfectly designed. It's the perfectly hewn stone to accomplish the purpose that it was to be. And so he calls this, he calls Christ a living stone. <laughs> and there's nothing more opposite you think in our language of having a living stone because when you think of a stone, it's just there and it's it's dead as can be. It's a paradox, isn't it? You're stone dead. You ever heard of that? Well, some of us are old enough to remember pet rocks. Ooh, pet rocks. <laughs> 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 as close as you can come to a living stone. <laughs> Was that stones? Were those uh, rocks for the pets? <laughs> so, nah, for you. If you don't have a dog, you can have a rock, right? <laughs> you guys wouldn't settle for that. No, gonna have. A stone has no life, right? But yet, this one's alive—a living stone, a perfect stone. Not just a stone, but a living stone. This stone lives. Why? Because it's Christ. Christ is life. Christ lives because He rose from the dead. Right? We know He lives. He gives life. He is life. He he gives life to us. The reason we exist is because of His life. Um, oh, 1 Corinthians 10.4. Kind of interesting. Not the, This Peter passage is not the only time mentioned in the Old Testament. But in 1 Corinthians 10.4, Old Testament examples, Moses, right? Out in the wilderness. And all drank the same spiritual drink, for they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them. And the rock was Christ. Is that still lit off there too? Or is that that's a good point. I think uh, it's Petra there. Okay. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it's Petra. I'm looking at my notes here and uh, I've got I've got Petra. And that's okay. But in this case, his context in you know, Peter is thinking of a temple. And you know, he's writing to people that are scattered. They were scattered aliens. And they didn't have the advantage that people in Jerusalem would have had and around in Judea where they would go to the temple. These people were further out. They couldn't go to the temple. And uh, one writer suggested this. I think it's worth a thought. Uh, that's encouraging to them. You know, They don't have to have that temple anymore anyway. Christ is the temple. Christ is the rock, right? He's the living stone and we're all the living stones in it. So really the temple now is what? Body of Christ. Of course, he is he is over all that. So he was the spiritual rock out in the, the wilderness for the thirst of God's people. So here's a stone, a solid rock, a perfect stone for building. And you know, God is building his church, right? And as he builds his church, 
He's going to put living stones in it. Not only, you know, he's the chief cornerstone, but he's also going to, you know, bring up that point uh, about us being stones, but uh, as we're being placed into this. But this chief cornerstone obviously is is a key point because a chief cornerstone, and that's what he's moving to eventually, has to be perfect on every side because you're going to be building on it going as far as an angle is concerned when it goes this way and when it goes this way and it goes up you have to have that perfect stone he is the one that is the life-giving spirit do you remember peter has already said living what hope remember the living hope he is our living hope verse 3 uh, matter of fact, in verse 23 of chapter 1, he uh, how about that? The living Word. A living hope. The living Word. A living stone. Well, God lays a stone. Jesus Christ. Men rejecting. The crucifying. But God has chosen this stone and regards Him infinitely Precious. He's a chosen stone. Precious stone. Raises him from the dead. An ever living stone. Gives him the place of highest honor at the head of the corner. And when you think of stone, you think of these passages, people would be thinking of Messiah. If you were an Old Testament uh, person, you when, when this stone would be mentioned, they would automatically think of Messiah, which was absolutely correct. Uh, when you think of living, you have to be thinking of resurrection. So, you know, quite interesting. Um, when men set out to build a building, they want to begin by working on the stones, perfecting it. Cornerstone here, you know, it's, it's, a, it's the plumb line in every direction. You have the angles. If you're off any at all, the whole building is going to be off. So it's really important to get it uh, com- exactly perfect. The, the building could collapse inward, outward. Every angle has to be absolutely true. Johnny, you're pretty good with angles, aren't you? Measuring stuff and everything. <laughs> what are you laughing? <laughs> well, the leaders of Israel, whenever Jesus was there, especially in Jerusalem, they really checked this stone out. They wanted to participate in helping God have His spiritual temple. So they looked for a cornerstone. They looked for the Messiah. They're looking for that. They know what the cornerstone means. It's the Messiah. Jesus came along. They examined Him. They had their measuring instruments. And of course, they used their religion, their man-made religion and rules. They assessed the suitability of Jesus as he was proposing to be who he was by his actions, by his words. And uh, when they concluded their assessment, Jesus was not adequate. He was not the stone that they were looking for. He didn't pass their calculations. And that's, of course, he was the perfect stone, but they rejected that stone. As far as the Jewish leaders are concerned, he fails. doesn't meet what the test was according to their testing measurements. Matter of fact, their rejection was filled with venomous hatred towards him. It was unthinkable that this man, Jesus, would be their cornerstone. That everything else would be built upon. They saw him as a foolish man, a poor man. Uh, whenever he literally scathed them, whenever he went into the temple two times, and he like you know he up, uh, overturned everything in there, it made the religious leaders very mad. And of course, I think they wanted to kill him because of that. Religious system. 
and he made it look uh, and, and showed that it was absolutely wrong in, what, in the way that they were doing it. He was a, a weak man to them. He went to a cross and he died. And so it was unthinkable that this would be God's cornerstone. This man wouldn't even overthrow the Romans. If he would have done that, maybe they would have accepted him. Huh? Let's look in Matthew 12, 22. Precious he is, isn't he? 12.22 Then a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute was brought to Jesus, and he healed him, so that the mute man spoke and saw. All the crowds were amazed and were saying, This man cannot be the son of David, can he? But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, this man cast out demons only by Beelzebul, the ruler of the demons. They couldn't deny the fact that he did an amazing miracle. And they give the credit to the demons. What a, what a rejection. Look in John 1, 10 and 11. And this is the rest of the people. He was in the world, the world was made through Him, and the world did not know Him. He came to His own, and those who were His own did not receive Him. As a whole, the nation rejected Him. The religious leaders rejected Him. The cornerstone, and He didn't measure up to them. But yet, He's chosen by God. He's precious. And we look at Matthew 3.17. And behold, a voice out of the heavens. This is John the Baptist and and Jesus being baptized by him. The voice says, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. God is pleased by His Son. Takes great pleasure God is a God of pleasure. God takes great pleasure in His Son. How about Acts 2, 23 and 24? This is Peter preaching that message on uh, Pentecost. 23... This man delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for him to be held in his power. So there was God himself in that. Look in verse 32. This Jesus, God, raised up again, to which we are all witnesses. Life. Chapter 4, verse 11. He is the stone which was rejected by you. (laughs) Oh, wow. The builders, but which became the chief cornerstone. And then that famous verse, and there is no salvation in anyone else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. So, rejected by men, but you look here and you see he was choice, he was precious. God examined him too. (laughs) He was well pleased by him. In his works, he was perfect in his works, We're saved by the death of Christ. That is the passive obedience. There's an act of obedience that's involved too that's taught in Reformed theology. That's very important about the perfect work of Christ. And uh, of course we know that uh, the blood of Christ is very important, but the very life of Christ 
is very important too. And God is pleased in all that He did. He was absolutely, perfectly obedient, even all the way up to the point of death. This is my beloved Son, whom I am well pleased. He was elect. That's what choice means here. God elected Him to be the one. He was chosen, ordained by God, precious. Um, the word there for precious, precious in the sight of God. Intimon, it means highly prized. Highly prized. It means very rare. And when somebody goes out antiquing and finds something that's very rare, incredible, he was perfect for the cornerstone. Every angle is perfect. And then you look and and you see man and what man did in his actions. And what we see here is the stupidity and the ignorance of men and their absolute depravity. And um, in that verse 4, then and, and I'll finish out with this right here real quick. We talk about the living stone, which has been rejected by men, but it's choice and precious sight of God. Go back to the first part of verse 4 now, and coming to Him. We started with Christ there, right? Now, it brings us in on this now. Everything with regard to, as far as spiritual privileges are concerned, is built upon or founded upon coming to Christ. Everything begins when you come to Him, right? Right from the very outset, we know that coming to Him is, um, of course, that's, we think, of salvation to start with. It's a continually drawing near. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Jesus said, Come unto Me, all ye who labor and are heavy laden. I'll give you rest. Um, how about John six thirty five? I am the bread of life. He who comes to Me shall not hunger. And he who believes in me shall never thirst. Verse 37, All that the Father gives me shall come to me. So who are the ones that come to Him? All the ones the Father has given to the Son. They will come to Him. John 6.37 I was talking to Dwayne earlier and he said the one, uh, one of the biggest chapters that really made an impact on him about sovereignty of God and salvation was was John 6 along with Romans 9. I think those are probably two of the the best. Uh, Yeah, you, you will come to Him because He draws you because verse 44 says, No one can come to Me unless the Father who sent Me draws Him. So that's the reason we come because it's so irresistible. Um, he makes us willing because the Holy Spirit is the one who comes in and we now have a desire. It's not that we are forced. It's that now we have a, a new desire that's put in us. Verse 65 of John 6. For this is verses here in John 6. I have written margin of my Bible. Free will is a myth. <laughs> <laughs> that's... That's it. Irresistible, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Like I, and I know who I am because I know him. Very good. That um, in John six thirty, uh, no, John seven, verse thirty-seven. I think Jesus says, "If any man is thirsty, let him come to me." We've already seen who are the ones that come, but if, why would you be thirsty? Well, he's the one who, kind of what Bob was putting there, in another way of putting it is um, he's given us a thirst, a taste for him. We didn't have it before. Prosercomai is the word. It's used of drawing near for continuing worship. And it's a continuing, ongoing thing, not just a one-time thing. Um, 
it's used that way all through the Old Testament in the Greek translation in the in the 70. One form of this verb, um, proselyte, proselyte uh, is related to, which means a person who was a far off, uh, a Gentile who drew near, you know, became a, a Jew, a proselyte. Um, used in the Bible to refer to a, a Gentile who was outside the covenants of God and outside God's law, but he was one who drew near to that. That's what that proserchomai is dealing with, drawing near to God. It's at John 7.37. Let him come to me. So, there it is. It's a general call to everybody. If you thirst, come to Christ. The invitation is out there. We give the invitation to everybody. And ones who have been drawn by God will come. That's a guarantee. Absolute, 100%. It'll never fail. We don't know when that might be, but they will come to Him. That's good to know. God's in total control. The ones He wants to come, they will. He will not be disappointed, will He? Oh, I wish I could have gotten Him. So he didn't want to come. It didn't take me 50 years to come to God. He chose... For me to wait 50 years, right? Looking at God's angle. But He set you up the whole time, didn't He? He used all that. Back to that nursing part, He had put that desire for the milk of the Word to come to Yeah, and I had no desire for that before. He wasn't disappointed that the Armenian preacher is Oh, probably most of us here. <laughs> yeah. The word of God. Well, he can he can use he can use a lot of different people. Yeah, absolutely. That's. I was just joking because yeah. I've heard people say, "Well, you know, it's like that people come to Christ hinges on whether on what we do instead of on I mean in reaching people exactly. instead of God, you know." And, uh, very true. I wasn't. I wasn't picking on the army. But he can. Yeah, it's it's the word of God that is the one that translates us into being kingdom people. Well, hey, wow. Hey, it's five after. Whoa, it's time to quit.